So I guess our favorite question that we love to answer is how did we meet? We met on the side of the road. Like I was in Colorado and got lost. And so I pulled off onto the side of the road and Cameron came along and I, I saw him there and I was like, hey, the restaurant you're going to, why don't you just follow me there? And uh, we ended up having breakfast at this restaurant and then we went up to the mountains together and then we went bowling and then he came to church with me the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and then six weeks later we got engaged. So yeah, that, that's how we met in person. And the rest of the story is that we met online, on eHarmony. And the first time we met in person was, I was in Colorado coming out to meet her in person. And yeah, so. He got a little lost, so he called me and it was just easier for me to come out to him than try to get some directions from where he was at. <laughs> so that is our story of how we met and we were married less than a year later, and we've now been married for a little over eight years, and yeah. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ministry Misfits. Andrew, it's, it feels like it's been a long time. I don't know if it's because of the holiday that we just had with 4th of July. But it, it, it seems was a like long week. It does feel like a long week, yes. but glad to be back in the studio here, and um, yeah, just covering some more information. I guess not information. Covering. Uh, Hopefully, everything we're doing has information. <laughs> some people might not think so. Yeah, well, that's a whole another discussion. <laughs> yeah, last week we were with Systematic Ecology, mm -hmm. and we were talking more in depth on adoption. We were talking more in depth on just family dynamics. Yep. If you had a problem with last week, you can complain to Systematic Ecology because it was their idea in the first place. But I, I have a call out for them since I just I just finished Stranger Things last night. There is also an adoption story within there too that they should unpack and uncover. But well, I'll, there I'll let go. them do that. There you go. Where were we going? Oh, yeah. Last week we were talking adoption. This week we are going to another part of this family dynamic discussion. We do have a disclaimer that this is a very potentially a very sensitive topic for some families. Mm -hmm. And so feel free after reading the description to just skip over this one if this is a sensitive topic for you. But for the rest of our listeners and for the church in general, this is a very important discussion to have. Yeah. And we kind of started this discussion when I mentioned last week some of the latest Twitter controversies. And our guest today actually was part of said Twitter uh, controversies, mainly because I, you know, kind of called her to you know, called her to arms, I guess. Um, and if I could get the thing to work, I would bring them back up, but I can't. I feel like it's the Avengers for you. It's like you take all these characters and then you try to bring the real person in and everyone comes to fight together. Well, we've done that a few times, actually. That Was it 
wasn't it Sherry that made the joke that at one point, like, we all just need to show up in California and just go go with it? Um, anyway, this is, and I'm going to say their name wrong. So I'm just going to stick to the easy thing first. And if you've been following the Twitter controversies, this is at Two Fertile Church, also known as Karen Terrazas. Did I even get close? Yes. Yeah, that was correct. That was, that was great. <laughs> um, I didn't have to buzz myself. There you go. And then her husband, Brandon Terrazas. And they are joining us to talk today about the last little soapbox that we got on last week a little bit with the Karen Swallow prior controversy mm-hmm. and specifically on the area of the fact that one, it doesn't matter if you do not have children of your own, you are not cursed by God or in sin. And beyond that, we are specifically going to talk with them about what infertility actually is and what it actually means for us in the church. So, Taraz's family, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And let's just start with the basic definition. What is it we're actually talking about here? What is infertility? So, infertility is defined as one year of unprotected sex without any pregnancies resulting. Um, And I was going on the CDC website to get the most current stats on this last night because I always cite the one in eight couples will deal with infertility. Well, that has now changed from one in eight couples to one in five couples will deal with infertility at some point. Um, and then out of that one in five, one in four couples will struggle to maintain a pregnancy if they can get pregnant. So not only do you have people that can't get pregnant, you have people that can't stay pregnant. So you've got two very painful overlapping um, problems going on that is more common than people want to think about. So let's start with the stats you just laid out Mm -hmm. beyond just the fact that one in five means that you probably know somebody. The first thing that we got to look at is the fact that in when, when was the one in eight that you had been originally citing pulled from? One in eight is the one that's still on the resolve website, which is the major, mm, I'd say advocacy body for infertile women. Um, and that was citing statistics from like 2005 to 2010. And I guess they just never updated that. The CDC's numbers are from the 2021 year. So those are so, as you can get. <laughs> about in a 10 year span. Yep. We've gone from one in eight to one in five, which doesn't seem like a huge drop if you're just looking at eight to five until you realize that these are statistics. And that's math, and so we're not. Brandon and I are not going to try and figure out what that percentage <laughs> yeah, actually <math>. is, because <laughs> that is not going to go well. It went from twelve percent of the population to twenty percent of the population, so an eight percent. There you go. Yeah, so yeah, she that, gets a bell. So basically, almost doubling. And I feel like the other conversation you hear in today's era is, oh, people are waiting to have kids and not having kids as early as they used to, and so maybe this 
could even fall into the rising statistic of how the numbers are changing and an example of why we're one example of why we're seeing um, children in a later age. Well, and that, that leads us into the next thing we want to talk about, which is a very big piece of this is the misconceptions behind all of this. Because even last night when you posted the latest stats that you had found preparing for this, good friend, brother, Matthew asked the question of if this has to do with the the statistics about people that come from an abortion standpoint as well. But these stats that you're pulling are not, you know, there's another another little asterisk that has to go with these stats is that these stats that you pulled were ones that were for first-time pregnancies, correct? Yes. So these are women who have never been pregnant before and have been trying for a year without any pregnancies resulting or asterisk they've gotten pregnant but failed to carry the term so So, then that and that is through miscarriage not through abortions those would not get included in those stats at all right so let's just talk through because you gave me a long list of a bunch of different misconceptions surrounding all of this sort of thing. So one of the misconceptions, that would be cake, (laughs) misconceptions, let's try that, misconceptions, is the idea of that infertility is something that happens at a specific age. True or false? False. False. Okay. Do you want to expand on that at all? <laughs> that was one of your bullet points. That's the only reason I'm bringing that one up. I'm going yeah. through your list here. No, that's fine. And I, I think that one's especially big because, you know, you have people complaining about the rising marriage rates and the fact that, you know, women's most fertile days are, they're ignoring them. But the, the thing is, is infertility can affect women of any age. I am aware of women in their 20s, early 20s, who know they're dealing with infertility due to a variety of factors. And that's only focusing on female factor infertility and ignores that a third of infertility cases are due to male factor. So that doesn't matter how young the woman is if it's male factor that's causing the problems. And this kind of leads into where your initial talk that you had just done was on is that you can, people can try and blame the marriage cycle. They can try and blame the age of marriage. They can try and blame all these other things. But reality is that that doesn't necessarily actually affect anything that we're talking about here because this is a much bigger health issue mm-hmm. than it is just a societal issue even though i mean you got you deal with it way more than i do i just get to watch as you you and um sidelines go at at people on this one but the, you know people like to look at this as a societal issue first and foremost but in reality, this is much more of a health issue than it is anything else. And one of those things that we're going to talk about with the health is what both 
infertility leads to, as well as what these misconceptions actually lead to, which you, you know, you, you can talk more on this here as we go, but you know, the three things that you had, or two of them, I think you had pulled out. I had added one to your list is isolation, guilt, which that typically follows more with ones that are caused by miscarriages than it caused by just infertility. Although not always. Mm -hmm. Um, and then grief is the other one. And grief is what we're going to spend a lot of time on here as we walk through, but let's start with how does isolation come out of all of this? Well, this is, um, it's hard to quantify, but I mean, we're in our late thirties and everyone we know who are, who is in their late thirties has kids. So it's really difficult to develop meaningful relationships with people because they're dealing with stuff that we're not like they're raising kids and we're not, and they're not nearly as flexible as us because they have kids, which totally makes sense. But it's like, can't just be like, Hey, do you want to go to a movie? Because then they're like, Oh, we need to find a sitter and we need to plan it out like two weeks to a month in advance and all kinds of stuff like that. So um, as far as relationships goes, that's a way that I have noticed the isolation. There are other areas that are more insidious, but I haven't really been exposed to those, whether that's because I'm a guy or I'm just oblivious. I don't know. But um, yeah, Karen would be more... Um, <clears throat> qualified to comment on those areas. Yeah. Being the only woman talking to three guys on this topic, I worry about how much I'm going to embarrass the three of you. Um, but I, I have often said that infertility is being alone because so much, especially from the woman's perspective or the woman's side, you're you're doing a lot of these things alone. So you find out that this month was not going to be the month by yourself. And that's not something you can announce to the public. Um, Cause it's just, we just don't talk about that in mixed company. Or if you're taking a pregnancy test, you're going to get that negative test when you're by yourself or maybe with your husband. But Again, that's not something you can just announce. And so you're having to process these these huge emotions by yourself or with your husband who is also trying to process them at the same time. And there is no mechanism in our society for processing it out and about. And so, you know, there's there's forums and groups where you can talk to other women dealing with it but the initial realization that this is another month you're not pregnant is still going to be when you're by yourself yeah and you guys kind of listed both examples of the isolation both as a couple and as the individual with individuals within the the couple Mm -hmm. you find one is more 
prevalent than another within relationships. Um, I get, this even kind of gets into the guilt a little bit, I would think. But yeah, do you find it's more couples distancing other couples or within that relationship, the couples distancing from each other? Are you talking like infertile couples dealing with it or? Correct. Yeah. You know, I, I do know the stats on divorce for infertile couples is, is higher than the, the national average. Um, and I think that's a variety of factors um, due to, you know, if you're doing treatment, that is a very expensive road. And obviously money is a factor in a lot of marriage problems. Um, and I think some couples, and this is just what I've read on forums, we've never really struggled on this form, but I think there's a lot of couples trying to blame each other, especially if they know, like, oh, this is male factor infertility, or this is female factor infertility, and I think that can cause problems. Um, our case, we have unexplained infertility. The, the doctors could never give us a reason why. Um, so we didn't really have to deal with the, oh, it's my fault, it's your fault. But I think even if we did, like, we were just a unique couple. So it's not something I feel really comfortable talking on because I haven't, I haven't talked to a lot of couples that have, like, really struggled with that because usually I, I've talked to women and guys, unfortunately, get lost in this conversation, which is one reason why I did want my husband here, um, even if he doesn't have a lot to say, because this is definitely my real house and my passion, but. Well, and you know, you and I had talked about this as well, as far as why, you know, we, we wanted your husband on is that, you know, he already talked about the fact that the way that dad is involved with any of these conversations, if he's even allowed to be involved with the conversation, not because of the, not because of the spouse, but because of just the way that, again, people look at this as a societal issue instead of a health issue, mm -hmm. is has has been more and more very blatant to me ever since we lost Carson, is that there are very few resources for dad when you have either lost a child or when you struggle to have children is that dad is just off in the distance as he's just going to be there when we're ready to call on him, and he has no role in this any other time. How does... And so, you know, this leads us into the grief side of things, and we're going to dive into this deeper after our commercial break, but let's just start the conversation here with... Have you guys found that the grieving processes are different between the two of you than it than you maybe initially thought it would have been? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. We we definitely processed it different, and we definitely grieved it different. Um. And I think especially early on, we didn't always understand how the other person was responding to it, but... I know Karen talks about um, the five stages of grief. That's not something that I've experienced. I, 
tend to go back and forth just between being okay with um, the fact that we've lost six children to being angry to just being sad. Like those three things, like the whole um, bargaining and stuff like that, or denial, never really dealt with that, but yeah. And yeah, it's definitely not a, a, a something you go through and then you get to acceptance. It's very much bounce around. Like, yeah, just yesterday I was thinking, this isn't fair. And like, I'm a teacher. So I've encountered a lot of parents that I would not consider to be good parents at all. They don't care one little bit about their kids. And I just think, how exactly do they have kids or multiple kids? And here we are with none, which doesn't seem fair. And well, life isn't fair, but from so, a more subjective term, I wouldn't want it to be fair, really. So we're going to dive deeper into all of this after we take a quick break and hear from Laird Creative Agency. We'll be right back. Season two of the Ministry Misfits podcast and our awesome theme song are brought to you by Laird Creative Agency. In our social media world, the next connection is always one click or scroll away and your business has to be ready when they find you. That's why Laird Creative is always looking for ways to step your brand up. Whether you're looking to overhaul your brand one time with a new website or want to save money by outsourcing your graphic and media content, Laird Creative Agency is here to help. Laird Creative's mission is to take the difficulty out of the creative process. With Laird Creative, you'll find a dedicated team of artists ready to tackle any creative need that your business has, big or small. If you're looking for an easier way to share the vision of your organization through thoughtful branding and creative content, find them at LairdCreativeAgency.com to get started. Mention the Ministry Misfits podcast and get a free consultation call. Laird Creative, step your brand up. We're back. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ministry Misfits. Today we are with Karen and Brandon discussing infertility. You didn't even try their last name. Yeah, I, I, that's disappointing. I, I can't even buzz you because you broke our soundboard in the middle of the break. <laughs> yeah, so I figured I would. We already did their name at the beginning, so I wasn't going to butcher it for their sake. And, <laughs> anyways, today we're talking about infertility and we've briefly been talking about the definition, some of the stats behind that, specifically one in five couples dealing with infertility, just some of the misconceptions that can come behind or come from that, that we hear out in the world today. Uh, and then lastly, we just finished up the first portion with what some of this can lead to, specifically with isolation, guilt, and grief. And yeah, grief is where we started the process before we heard from JD. Mm -hmm. Now 
we are going to continue into this because the grief section of this is the heaviest section of this, which, I mean, just common sense, you would think it would be. Grief is what comes from these other two. We already kind of started the process of the fact that, you know, the way mom and dad grieve is different. But grief in general has a pretty normal cycle with it. And this is, again, why we're talking about this. is It's a health thing, not a society thing. So, Karen, let's start with what this grief cycle actually looks like in the terms of what, you know, in the, the terms of what we're talking about today. So I think the reason why, like for us, it was so different is because like I was the one that like my body was dealing with. And like, I I would tell people that, you know, when you come to the five stages, I would bounce through all five stages in 28 days assuming, you know, basically a normal, normal cycle. So uh, at the risk of embarrassing three guys here, um, you know, y- you start day one when, when I would start pleading and I would always just be in denial. I would be like, no, no, uh, no, this, this, this isn't a period. This, this isn't that it's, it's, it's something like implantation bleeding or it's, it's something else. And then after, you know, it became clear that no, this was the start of another cycle. I would just, I would get angry, angry at myself, angry at the situation, angry at God, you know, just cause it just didn't seem fair, you know, and we can get into like other craziness of like the, horrible bill of goods, you know, I was sold prior to marriage with purity culture, but that's another topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you get into the, like the just depression. I'm just like, oh, not this month, not last month. When is this ever going to happen? And then, and then the bargaining of like, okay, well I will do X, Y, and Z this month to really increase my chances. You know, be on Google and find out everything that can help, increase your fertility and then you you just finally settle into that month of you know there's nothing you can do except what you're already doing and it starts all over again because you've got 28 days (laughs) and that's exhausting and you're doing so much of this by yourself again as we were talking about you know these are not things you talk about in society so you're having to process this on yourself And then I I would tell people that there's also a long cycle of, you know, just coming to grips with dealing with infertility and, you know, working through the strong emotions that to get to the place where, you know, okay, we are a childless couple and that's okay. And that was not an easy process to get there. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, um, anguish and prayer and conversation to get to that point. And now, you know, I want to help other women or other couples behind us on this journey because we're, you feel like you're walking alone, but clearly you're not, but 
you feel like it when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about how the local church should come alongside and, and step into this area. But specifically for you guys as a couple, knowing that maybe for you, Karen, the grief cycle um, happens. I know, Brandon, you mentioned you might go through three different stages, but not maybe the full cycle. How do you guys um, either help cope with each other during that grief or come alongside each other or grow closer to God during that time where you know this may be ebbs and flows? Well, it hasn't been... This aspect hasn't been needed as often more recently, but there were a lot of times where I was just holding Karen as she was bawling her eyes out and feeling like I have absolutely no idea what to do because <laughs> yeah, um, not something I was really expecting to deal with when growing up and getting married, assume that this really wouldn't be an issue and didn't even really think that about it. And so was completely unprepared on how to deal with it. Um, so there was that. Haven't really had as many, well, yeah, hardly, well, any crying episodes as far as that goes. A couple of years For now. a few years now, so it's not really needed anymore. Um, But yeah, I think the biggest thing I'm hearing is it's been more so the opposite of isolation of the coming together and just even being as a couple, being there for them, being present and showing up um, to know that they are still loved and cared in that, even though there's outside voices that might put that pressure or grief on you, ultimately God has called you guys as a couple together and hopefully that helps with some of that grief. Well, and I think we were starting into where, you know, we started talking about the fact that one of the misconceptions is that this is a societal issue. Infertility in general is a society thing. It's a concern of society, you know, whether it's due to horrible theology, like we've seen on Twitter the past few weeks, or whether it's due to, you know, people concerned about the birth rates or concerned about school rates or whatever they're concerned about. We talked before that this is a health thing, not a society thing. But now that we're into this section of how do we actually deal with it, now I think we are identifying where the actual societal problem with all of this is at. And it's the fact that no one is prepared or really is willing to prepare couples for this reality. Mm-hmm. And especially as the reality starts to increase percentage-wise, there is still a lack of understanding of this from a, you know, if nothing else, from a premarital counseling standpoint. Yeah, I I, I tell this story of just kind of eye-rolling, exasperated, Um, but my pastor, when we got engaged, the book he gave me that he told me he gives all free marital counseling was 
all on parenting. And I'm kind of like, okay, there's usually about a nine-month warning before you're going to be a parent. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine for this book. But, yeah. Even Mary got a nine-month warning. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just the assumption is, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. And when you don't fit that script, people just have no idea what to do with you. That was kind of what I was alluding to a little bit earlier of kind of being insidious side to this of if you don't fit that mold within the church, then people don't really want to deal with you. Um, like I said, not something that I've really experienced. Maybe I'm just clueless, but Karen definitely has. So now do yeah. you, do you find that that pressure and that expectation comes more from within or with, or from outside of the actual, you know, church culture structures. Is this something that, you know, is, is something that we see just in general society or is this unfortunately another area where this is almost a uniquely Christian problem anymore as far as the, the expectation pushing? So I think, I think that there's expectations coming from both worlds. Um, but I think the expectation from the church hurts more and there's less understanding. So I think from like the world at large, the more pressure is, is, you know, why don't you do X, Y, and Z? Because popular culture especially presents infertility is a problem that you just throw money at to solve. So, you know, just mm -hmm. go to a fertility clinic and, you know, do IVF and you'll come home with a baby. And it's, it's not that simple, but Hollywood presents it as that simple. And so society at large is just like, well, do you not want to do all that? And it's like ignoring that they don't know what they're don't know. Um, but the church specifically, it's so family oriented and it, it's so geared around the nuclear family that it, it, it doesn't know what to do with, with couples that don't have kids. And, and it, and again, this could get into another subject. If we, if I come back on, I could talk about this, of uh, you know, we are sold that if you, you know, follow the right program, you're going to get rewarded. And so when you have a couple that right. did follow that and doesn't have a reward, they don't know what to do with that. And so there's just a lot of like, well, you had to do something wrong. Like I've had people straight up ask me, what did I do to cause my fertility? And it's like, nothing. <laughs> it, that's not how it works. And, you know, we, this was, you know, going back to that mess of a day on, on Twitter a few, few, few weeks ago. 
this was part of the argument that this guy was making is that if you want to have kids in today's world, you can have kids. Yeah. This makes it seem like an easy recipe. Right. <laughs> it, and that and that was basically the argument is that it's a very easy recipe because yeah. if the biological recipe doesn't work, then the financial recipe will. Mm. And you know, like you said, this this kind of starts us into the next next section that we're going a little bit as far as how this has this conversation has even changed over the past two three weeks of the you know the church side their normal recipe for this is either a straight it's all either just a prayer recipe or a financial recipe. The world's recipe is full on just a either a medical cocktail recipe or it's a financial recipe. The the hard thing for us to start breaking down is this reality that the core issue at both of these, both the church and society, is the unhealthy way that family is presented. In the church it's almost present well we'll clarify within white evangelicalism it's presented as almost an idol of this is a sign of god's blessing mm. we're you know we're back into prosperity gospel talk now yeah within the world and this is the world as a whole the family is just the support system that you have for ages you know birth to 18 if even that sometimes they're going to say 15 but that's not what we see in scripture as far as what a family unit is actually supposed to be. This is what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. Both, Even even in some cases, we talked about this with Alan when we talked Indian Pentecostalism. Of the family structure and family unit is something that God has designed, but not for these different avenues that the church and that the world is trying to say that these that the family units have actually been created for. You know, the, the family unit is, like we've already talked about, is a place of support when things like this happens. But we also are well too, we know well, uh, all too well that sometimes extended family causes some of the isolation, guilt, grief in this topic. Yeah, and I would say that's where my wife and I kind of fall into that camp a little bit of we're going through the adoption process currently and feel like that's what God has called us to. So I guess stats wise, we would probably fall into that infertility camp um, since we don't have kids yet. And yeah, again, a lot of the people, instead of saying, like we say, Hey, we're going through the adoption process. It, immediately the question comes back from the church or even family is, well, why aren't you having a kid naturally? It's never a celebration mm -hmm. of going through the process. It's always immediately to the, the why, why not? And so, yeah, then that brings that shame and guilt and some, sometimes that cycle from people that should be bringing you up and providing love are the ones that they're the closest to you that can really bring that dagger and feel the pain mm -hmm. with the hurt. Yeah. That discussion there is exactly why, you know, when we were talking last night about how we're actually going to do this since 
apparently all four of us realized last night that it was Friday. (laughs) (laughs) That we hadn't actually done any of the The holiday week. It was all off. Yeah. Is the fact that, you know, with the Supreme Court rulings that have been coming out, like, pretty much rapid fire (laughs) the past three weeks or so. Like, they sat around and did nothing for a long time, and now it's just boom, 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 boom. Um, Okay, I shouldn't say nothing. I'm sorry. I shouldn't say nothing. (laughs) They haven't done anything public, intentionally public, because they did something public that was unintentional also. They have not intentionally done anything public for a long time, and then it was boom, 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 boom. But the the post row misconceptions around all of this are ones that need to be addressed as well. And this is one where it's going to be much more specifically geared toward the church specifically. Because you already identified one, and this was pre-whatever day that was a couple weeks ago, of the response from from church and family oftentimes is why, mm-hmm. you know, we saw this on Twitter with Dr. Pryor is, well, why didn't if you have all this money now, cause you're some famous author, why haven't you gone and adopted, you know, 50 kids by now? And so the question again was why not realizing the fact that God doesn't call everyone into the same fields and areas to do what he has called them to do. So let's let's just start with some of these. You know, you you gave me a nice long list, and my the list was on the one that Brandon broke during the intermission. So let, let's just start through because this is a, a different type of conversation than that you've been able to have, but you want to be able to actually have this conversation because it's important. How has you know, a post row world affected this conversation. So, yeah, I, I sent you my initial thoughts on that last night. Um, and I know this is going to, to make some people on Twitter's head just explode, but it, it's a complicated <laughs> issue. Um, you know, if you would, if you had told me 20 years ago that I would call post row complicated, I would have like not understood, but I've learned so much in the last eight years. I can't unlearn that. And I I remember one thing I said on that, because I've said it before, like before, before Roe, the post Roe world, I always kind of felt like I was in this no man's land because pro-lifers really don't know what to do with infertile women. They really don't. And, and yet, there's no one that understands life begins at conception more than the woman praying for two pink lines on a pregnancy test. And we understand, like, especially if you get all the way to IVF, I mean, you literally are watching an egg and a sperm become all the different things as you're praying. It makes it to that five day mark for implantation Um, for, well, not implant, but, to be transferred, and then you hope it it sticks. Um, But there's also no one that understands reproduction like someone that is dealing with this issue um, and understands that, like, 
draconian laws written by people that don't know what they're talking about are not safe. Um, so I remember when the decision leaked several months ago, I would see people on Twitter being like, yes, let's, let's ban pregnancy at zero weeks. And I'm just like, abortion. Oh yeah. Yes. Let's ban it. That's a whole nother societal issue. If we're banning pregnancy, that's a whole nother podcast to deal with there. That's a whole dystopian universe, but we're not going to go there. But yeah. Um, they would be like, let's ban abortion at zero weeks. And I just cringe because there's no such thing as being one week pregnant. <laughs> there's no such thing as being a week and a half pregnant because the way the 40 weeks is counted is from your the start of your last cycle. So you have two weeks or you're not pregnant, but if you get pregnant, those two weeks are tacked on to your age because that's the only firm date they have is the first date of your last cycle. So conception doesn't actually happen until two weeks. And, and yet when you have people that don't understand that, you then get laws that could be very problematic for couples going forward. I mean, this is another example of where, you know, that right there is a, it's a perfect example of why it is a health issue there. Mm -hmm. But yet we try to turn that again into a societal issue. Mm -hmm. And you know, the common thing, if you haven't caught it yet, is that part of why this is such a weird discussion to have, weird in terms of the way people view it, is because we have everything backwards with our labels. The areas that are health issues is what everybody's trying to make a societal theological issue. The stuff that is actually a societal theological issue is where it was like, oh, no, that's something for the doctors to figure out. Sorry, keep going. I was just like, this <laughs> just is another to, example of exactly why this discussion needs to happen. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um but then there's also the issue of, of, of miscarriage. And I know a lot of people are pushing back against that. But I actually talked to women, and this was even pre-post-row, um, of women who would be literally bleeding in the ER and the, the, the hospital not wanting to do anything because they weren't sure where all the laws were at the moment. And, you know, when it comes to, like, ectopic pregnancies or miscarriage or a missed miscarriage or just any bleeding that may happen in pregnancy, you don't want the doctor to have to be consulting a lawyer before treating you. You, you want them to be able to treat you. And that's where I worry with the, the laws written by people who don't know what they don't know. Um, because it is, a, you know, reproduction is more complicated than people think. Um, and the pro-life community is definitely not ready for the issue of chemical pregnancies, which is basically where an, a, a sperm and an egg do meet, but fails to fully implant and basically results in a period that's like, a couple days late. Um, yeah. And that happens more frequently than we really know. 
And if you're going to start saying that women are responsible, you've, you've opened up a whole can with the miscarriage community that nobody's ready for. And in the, in the reproductive technology community that nobody's ready for, because you know, you've got IVF that takes multiple eggs and will introduce sperm to all of them, but not all of those eggs make it to the three or five day mark. Some of them stop dividing at six cells. What are you going to do with that? If you haven't thought through that, this is a more complicated process than we understand. And science is, science is going to keep moving forward. Um, and that's what we're going to dive deeper into because now we're getting into what this means for the church and what what God actually would have us do with this theologically. And we're going to dive into all of that after one more commercial break. We'll be right back. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your online reach. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online listed on all major platforms within minutes of finishing your first recording. We just switched to Buzzsprout for Season 2 and have immediately noticed the difference. With Buzzsprout, you get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and Buzzsprout and the Misfits want to help you get started. Contact us for a free consultation call, and then visit our affiliate link to get started with Buzzsprout. Using this link not only helps support the Misfits, but it also gets you a $20 Amazon gift card. The teams at Buzzsprout and Ministry Misfits are passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. To find out more, go to www.ministrymisfits.com backslash affiliates. We're back. Alright, welcome back. We are still here with the Terrazas family. See, I see. Yeah, you went for it. Take that. Um, And we have been having the discussion that most people are trying not to have. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) To to put it bluntly, of what what the deal is with infertility, Um, especially as it relates to Christians and especially as it relates to how the church reacts to it in general. And so we talked. We the main thing that we have talked through is the fact that most places where we try to deal with this stuff as a societal theological issue is really just a health thing. And all the things we claim to be health things are actually the societal theological issues we need to actually be talking about. Um, imagine that we've got it completely <laughs> backwards. But before the break, you know, we, we walked through the grief cycle. We've talked about how that looks differently between 
husband and wife, how it looks differently between couples and their extended families, how it looks different between just couples in general. But now we've gotten into the societal waters and talked about post-Roe what this actually looks like. And Karen was sharing about how you know concerns on a legal front is that the people that are going to potentially be making these laws are going to, again, have health and society backwards. Now, though, we're going to go into the post-Roe misconceptions as far as with the church. And this is something that, you know, we did our blog on talking about, are we even ready for this? Mm-hmm. Karen Swallow Pryor's tweet, are we ready for this, is what started the whole controversy to begin with on Twitter. But, you know, the first thing we need to look at is the fact that the church has not been handling this well. Roe v. Wade, completely unrelated. And I think, again, we fall back on a theological issue of we still do not understand. Well, we've already talked about one, and that's a misconception of what a biblical family actually is. And we've talked in depth on that with Obi-Wan and with systematic ecology and a little bit even with Alan as far as the different cultural ideas of what a family is and what a church family looks like. But the other big one, and this is one we talk like pretty much every episode, I think we've, we've hit this one at some point. And so I should have it here and I don't, so I don't know why. But the Imago Dei talk mm-hmm. of what actually being made in the image of God is, again, is not being talked about well. Because you've already said, Karen, that the pro-life community doesn't know what to do with you guys. The pro-choice community doesn't really know what to do with you guys either because of the fact that you guys understand better than anybody when life begins. And this is where the Imago Dei talk has to start. Is that if we are talking about dignity coming from being made in the image of God and that we already know that life comes from God. I mean, that's multiple places in scripture. And so this person, this, this, you know, whatever you want to call it has life before it has eyes and everything else. It has dignity and value and worth, which I can't imagine anybody is going to disagree with that on the pro-life community. But the problem comes in that in saying that, we lose the nuance of being able to say that the parents also, and this does fall both parents also, are still made Imago Dei and in the image of God. I think we talked about this last time too, of I think it's the voice for the voiceless. So a lot of people will step in and say, well, right. that baby, whatever, um, has not, does not have a voice. I'm going to speak up for them, but not for the couple. And so, you know, you've already talked legality, your concerns post-Roe related to all of this. Now let's actually jump into within the church. What are your concerns 
post row related to all of this for the church and the discussions that are going to go on there? So I know one I have, and this was, and this was something I talked about even before the post row decision, but the church does not talk about adoption well. And there is an assumption in the church that infertile couples should just adopt. And that that is the panacea that will solve all our problems. And that, you know, talking about the image of God, that ignores the reality that these kids that need adoption are also image bearers. They are not, they are not tools. They are not, they are not props. They are people of worth. And um, I think everyone should follow Adoption Voice, hashtag Adoption Voice on Twitter, because there is a lot of adult adoptees that are finding their voice and they have things to say. And I, I, fall in, I, I have fallen into that world kind of accidentally because I do advocate that adoption is more serious than we treat it. And as an infertile woman, that is rare for them to see. So as an infertile woman, to speak for them, they find that so rare that I've had a few of them DM me and thank me, or even publicly on Twitter, thank me for seeing them. And so I think the church needs to realize that when you're dealing with human lives, the utmost care needs to be taken to not trivial, trivialize any of them. And that means that even this, this baby that is being more born to, let's say, um, a 16-year-old unwed teenage girl, that baby given to an established couple is going to have trauma. Mm -hmm. we know this and we need to recognize that and that 16 year old girl is going to have trauma and what I would love to see is is society as a whole transition to doing everything possible to keep mother and child together instead of thinking that adoption is the cure-all we need to figure out things that allow mothers to keep their children and adoption. You know, and this is something we had, we had this discussion with that guy about is that, you know, obviously there's a nuance to this as well, because there are situations where for the safety of the children, they need to be removed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to. Right. And that's why I want to make sure people are, are clear on this, that that is not a situation that we're talking about here. Mm hmm. Because that is one where the trauma that is induced to both mom and child in that scenario is more detrimental than the trauma of being separated. But we do have this unhealthy obsession with the idea that the key to all of this is just we take the babies. And really this falls back into the Roman versus Celtic evangelism models again. Of if they're within our walls, then we know they're going to be Christians and then they're going to be fine and they're going to be safe. Rather than if we are in the community and building up the community around us, 
now we're going to be able to provide resources for mom and child, regardless of if they come back to the fort with us or not. They're going to be able to sustain themselves. And this is just another example of where the missio uh, bad missiology, not that all Roman models are bad. Again, we got to clarify, not all Roman models are bad. There are times for Roman models, just like there are times for removal of children. But when we focus in on that, we have now, if nothing else, you know, the easiest way to live is we have, it's the white savior complex just in a church form, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you saw that discussion yesterday on Twitter or not, but that was the discussion that was going on as well was again, we had the white savior complex coming into play because we think that being the hands and feet of Jesus means that we are out there making huge changes on the world rather than recognizing that being the hands and feet of Jesus means that we allow Christ to work through us, regardless of how it looks on our behalf. I was just going to say, I think the other element too is fostering. And that's been another big right. conversation out now of people saying, well, adoption is not enough. Just foster. It's the quickest thing that you can get into as far as getting set up. And I know for myself personally, that's a big call and challenge. Right. It's not just something that you lightly step into because as you've brought up, really the goal of fostering is to get that child or child's children <laughs> back with the birth parent. That's the whole goal. It's not to make myself this great person that hopefully the family or child sees that I'm a better option. No, like the whole goal is to keep them back even you if know, that my, situation's not ideal my sister and brother-in-law have been a, have been fostering they finally were able to adopt three of the the children but they've been fostering for however long they've been married because again numbers Math. yeah um you know they've been fostering for a while and one of the things with our grandparents that was the hardest thing for them to understand was the fact that adoption was not the goal mm-hmm you know, adoption was not the goal. The goal was to provide a sense of stability for these kids for a while while the parents were able to find stability themselves. That was the ultimate goal. But it was not something that was well recognized, both church-wise and probably some of this is just a generational thing as well. I've also dealt with students from a counseling perspective of where the foster situation, and this is another area where this is a societal problem now we're talking, is that, again, because the thing that everybody thinks is, well, we just throw money at the problem, is that there are, unfortunately, some foster situations where it is more traumatic for the children than it would be even staying with the parents that got them in the system in the first place because the state will pay you to be a foster parent. Mm -hmm. But what they're actually paying you to do is to be a babysitter, not to be an actual parent. And so there are kids that are abused and traumatized within a foster situation because again, we're not actually talking about what these different systems actually are when we talk about just giving your child up. It is so much more complicated than we're willing to make it. And 
largely this goes back, you know, the theo theological argument that that one guy kept spouting was the command is to be fruitful and multiply. So if the command is be fruitful and multiply, then that means we just need to make sure that all of these kids have a, just have a place to stay rather than the command of discipleship, mm -hmm. which is train up the child in the way they should go, whether I am a legal guardian of this child or not, whether I am a biological parent of this child or not, whether I am fostering this child or not, or whether this kid just walked into the church this morning and asked for a cup of water. That is the type of relationship that God actually commands us to have as believers. That is yeah. what it means to train up a child. Go ahead. I, I would want to break in here and point out that something that gets lost when people are looking at the Bible as far as like when they look quote the be fruitful multiply is if you notice after Mary has Jesus, we never hear about any woman's fertility again. Like it's a mm -hmm. huge issue in the old Testament because we're waiting for the seed, the, that promised seed. And so every woman's fertility is an issue because that means they're not, they don't have a chance to give birth to that seed. But now that Jesus has come, the way we grow the kingdom is not through having children, it's through discipling. And so every, every person has the chance to add to the kingdom through evangelism and discipleship. And that is not just limited to bio having biological kids. And I think because we're so focused on on the covenant community and we're so focused on the family we've gotten kind of locked into we're gonna have kids and that's how we're gonna grow the kingdom but that is the old that is the old covenant model and it, and it didn't even work in the old covenant it's not gonna work now <laughs> Actually following how god commanded us to grow the kingdom and that is through the through the great commission I don't know if there's anything to add to that. Yeah, I know. Like, I don't know where we <laughs> take it. <laughs> I guess what we add to that is you are actually doing this work because of the fact, you know, we, we've talked about multiple times from just loss of a child standpoint of the lack of resources for dad. There's also a lack of resources for both parents related to the infertility talk especially from a biblical Christocentric church perspective. But you are trying to change that now. That's part of that's part of how we found each other on Twitter. That's also part of why after that's part of why I, you know, put up the bat signal for you a couple weeks ago and why as payment you demanded to come on here even though we were already working on scheduling. Um, <laughs> you know, the what is this project, though, that you, Karen, are specifically working on? So the project I'm working on is I want to fill the gap in the literature that is out there for infertility. Because like, when I go on Amazon and I look up books dealing with infertility, they are either the miracle baby story, which is fine if that's your story, 
or they're books written by men who have children that have never dealt with infertility trying to explain infertility. And they fail at it. <laughs> um, and so I want to... <laughs> oh, right? And so I wanted to really fill that gap and, and give a well-researched book allowing multiple voices to be, be heard on how I, I would love to talk to men as well, but so far all I've talked to is women. So I'm going to use, just talk about women because that's, but if men are welcome to fill out the survey that you will have linked for this, um, but how infertility and being within the church, how those, those two things have intersected. And, and I've, read a lot of surveys and had, you know, gotten a lot of answers with similarities and overlap. And I've also been interviewing women that are willing to, you know, go further and go deeper and tell me their stories and, and looking for things both that the church has done well that other churches can aspire to, but also things that like churches are failing on that are causing women pain and, hopefully telling them, okay, this is not helpful and this is why, here's a better way. So I want to give a really good resource that is based on research on what churches can do to come alongside the infertile couple that they will have in their church at some point. And the uh, the survey she's talking about, you can find that in the show notes. Um, you'll also be able to find that on social media after this goes out. Um, we also are going to make sure there's a link to it from the website as well. Um, probably not while you're listening to this currently, because you know how good I am at actually remembering <laughs> to update the website. I'm better now that we've got the new website. Yeah, the new one's been... I, I've been updating that one, but I just re- like, I realized this morning as I was coming up to the studio that I never added Joe's episode from last week onto his portal. Um, anyway... <laughs> And Karen, just to clarify real quick, you were looking for people from the survey that are both with in and out, in and without and out of the church. I'm trying to think if I say that. Uh, you know, I, you know, I have talked to people that have have left the church but dealt with infertility while in the church. But I, I just want to get as broad a range of people and church experiences as possible to to look for the overlaps of, of what works and what doesn't. Um, so the, the more, the more people that participate, the better my data will be. I'll have a bigger data set. Um, so this is, I'm doing this solo. So this is basically, uh, like a PhD program that I'm doing all by myself without a university. So there's a disclaimer that there is no university backing, but I'm trying to actually do a legit study that would hold up against peer research if anyone ever wanted to do that to give to give a really solid resource that would hopefully stand the test of time for churches um, and ministry leaders to have at their disposal because there's just not good information out there at the moment and I want to change that and so this will so it's I'm in the early stage of research but I'm hoping that I will have the book written and I'll find a publisher um, and hopefully have it out like 2025. It's my goal. So in the meantime, 
if you want to see any of the research she's doing, any of the writing she's doing now, because we're cla- we classify Twitter as writing on here. Yeah. Um, you can follow her at Two Fertile Church, and that's T O Fertile Church, not the number two, because you know we don't or, do numbers. T O O. Yeah. Well, we don't do numbers, let alone grammar. Sure. So. Um, it's at Two Fertile Church. You can find her on there. Again, the stuff that she mentioned as far as the survey as far, um, will all be in the show notes, and it should be on social media by the time you're listening to this. And eventually, it'll make its way to the website also. You know how that goes. Um, speaking of, you can also find us on all of those different places as well. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest way to do that is to just on any social media platform search at ministry misfit yeah no s no s because again grammar but um, or go to our website ministry yes. misfits with an s yes I, we were getting to that one because that right. one's more complicated <laughs> at ministry misfit is where you can find everything on social media you can find brandon in a couple places if you would ever remember how to unlock his accounts true um but yes, you can find everything at the website, including links to both Brandon and Karen on Twitter, as well as all of the research Karen is doing on mysterymisfits.com on the guest portal, which I believe is mysterymisfits.com backslash guests. But mm-hmm. I can never remember if that's actually be the right. SEO or not. Um, you also, on the store, or on the website, we still have our merch shop. Yep. And we still have the Teak Fatis. Teak Fatis, yep. They'll be uh, starting again their fall programming as school goes back here. Very weird, but next month. Yeah, we're trying to ignore that side of where we're at in the calendar year. But yeah, they are going back. Have you have you had to start your uh, classroom prep there, Brandon? Um, I have my first training Thursday. So sorry. <laughs> okay. I, but I think the... The one thing I hated more than parent-teacher conferences as a teacher was having to do all the summer training stuff that was literally the same thing that we did a year ago, and they say they updated, and all they did was change the font. That's a whole other... Go ahead, yeah. Well, they would change the date also. Oh, well, that's true. They got, (laughs) you know, copyrights. They got to stay relevant. Anyway... Um, yes, the Teak Fatis. Yeah, that's where we're still at. available to purchase. Still available. Still, seventy percent of all profits coming off the Teak Fatis goes back to Teakfa. Yep. We are hoping to maybe be able to do something with them here before the summer ends, but you know, scheduling and all that, how that might might work, may not. We'll find out. True. Um, if you'd like to be a patron, you can yes. visit our Patreon page and check out the different ways that you can support us. Anyways, from five, ten. 20 and a hundred dollars a month yes. of financial giving that and and that money goes towards this <laughs> yeah this keeping this stuff up and running studio all the, the, the breaking yeah, equipment i was to say we now have to go buy new equipment because brandon just broke it in the middle of the commercial breaks <laughs> so yes patreon.com backslash mr misfits you can also find that on the website under the support tab so karen brandon thank you guys for coming on we're going to find a time to have you come back on and we're going to really dive into the messiness. If you guys thought this conversation was messy and potentially somewhat awkward, just wait till you hear what we want to talk with them about the next time that they come on. I thought you were going to say check out our other episodes. Oh, well, yeah. 
well, that's another. <laughs> you can check out the episodes. Yeah. Go subscribe, like, five stars, all of that. Oh, where's it at? See if I can find it. Since Brandon broke it. Yeah, there we go. Five stars. Anyway, we will see you all next week. The Ministry Misfits podcast is a production of Ministry Misfit Media in association with Overwhelming Victory. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers, and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. The Ministry Misfits theme song is written and produced by J.D. Laird and Laird Creative Agency. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at ministrymisfitmedia at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can also visit our website at www.ministrymisfits.com or through bio.link backslash ministrymisfits. If you would like to support Ministry Misfits, you can become a patron by going to patreon.com backslash ministrymisfits. 